Good morning, everybody. My name is Matt. I work with the teens here at Grace. Power of Words, week three. Words have great power. With words, you can inspire and encourage, and you can devastate and destroy. Some of life's most influential moments come from words you said or words that were said to you. But what if you could leverage your words to change every conflict and every conversation you have for good? That's what we're digging into for this series. Our anchor verse, our home base is Ephesians 4.29, where Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building others up according to their needs. This morning, uh, we're talking about how we actually can accomplish that monumental task. So here's a question to get us started. If you were a garden, what would you produce? Like what would come out of the soil of you? I asked myself this question. I thought, my first thought was, if I was a garden, I'd produce jalapenos uh, because they're spicy, but usually not too much, just the right amount of spice. I think that's how Robin would describe me. Only thing I know for sure is that the garden that is me would not produce okra because that's some nasty stuff right there. I'm sorry if you love okra. I think it's gross. It's slimy, the seeds, that tough skin. Nope. Then I thought this could apply to our temperaments, blues. If you're a garden, most likely you would produce some kind of root vegetable like potatoes because everything's going on beneath the surface. Of course, potatoes aren't all that flattering of a vegetable. Sorry, Idaho, but maybe it's onions. You know, you can still see the stalks in a perfect rose. That'd be you, blues. Greens. I don't know. You might, if you were a garden, be an herb garden producing herbs. Very low maintenance. There's something for every dish kind of complementing everything you could possibly cook. Reds. If you were a garden, I'm picturing sunflowers or these strong stalks of corn. They kind of tower over the rest of the garden. Yellows. If you were a garden, I think you'd be a wildflower garden. Tons of variety, colors everywhere, popping out, flowers overflowing out of the garden. Well, today, I need everybody to be a garden because the gardening version of Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let nasty stuff like okra. Okay, let me stop hating on okra. Some of you like it too much. It's going to be a distraction. It's time to get serious. The Ephesians 4.29 gardening version says, do not let weeds or poisonous plants and nasty thorn bushes, things that are, as Derek has been teaching, unhelpful and unhealthful, do not let those things grow up in your garden. But in your garden, only allow what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Things like vitamin-rich vegetables, protein-packed plants, joy-bringing flowers, or sweet, energy-giving fruits. Look, we're all in on this gardening metaphor this morning to help us see something deep about our words, as well as the way forward to becoming dream gardens that are overflowing with everything good, because that's the goal, isn't it? To be the dream garden. Look, we, we all want our lives to be good. To be a, a benefit to those around us. Pleasant to experience. 
Think about the Biltmore, where people want to tour and engage, or for our West Coasters, the Rose Gardens in Portland, Oregon. I mean, Robin and I will never forget the Rose Garden. We left there and we felt full of life, energized. And that's the goal, to be a dream garden, free from nasty weeds, gardens that that only produce what builds others up. And here's the deal. We all know this. You don't become a dream garden free from unhealthful, unhelpful weeds, growing things. You don't become that by using a weed whacker. It doesn't work to just lop off the tops of those weeds. And it doesn't work to just cover over the weeds either. Can't just lay landscape fabric on there. That has consequences for the whole soil. We'll get into that later. But the the reality is, you know this, you got to get at the roots. You got to get down into the soil. And becoming the dream garden, it requires the ruthless confrontation of those weeds at their roots. And addressing and confronting the unhelpful, unhealthful words from our mouths It means addressing the unhelpful, unhealthful things in our hearts. And that's what we're digging into today. Jesus, big fan of gardening agricultural metaphors, talked about kernels of wheat falling to the ground and dying to produce a crop. He talked about fields that were ripe for harvest for his workers to be sent into. He talked about faith being like a mustard seed and the kind of plant that it would grow into. And he shared this one that is so profound and paradigm shifting. In six short sentences, Jesus gives us everything we need to become the dream garden. So I want to look at it sentence by sentence. This is from Luke chapter chapter six, starting at verse 43. Jesus says this, he says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. Okay, I think Jesus is one for one here, because you can't argue with this. Unless, of course, I was looking at trees with Jesus at Home Depot. Then I'd be like, actually, Jesus, each tree is recognized by the tag around the trunk. But after shaking his head at me, we would both agree that his point still stands. The nature of the tree, the identity of the tree is made known by what comes out of it. And we would also know that Jesus is talking about more than trees here. But Jesus continues. He says, people do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. So in a way, this is an extension of his previous statement, which is really just about the congruency of nature. Figs come from fig trees. Grapes come from grapevines. But but notice how Jesus matches those two good things, figs and grapes, with two plants that are not considered to be good at all. Because like I said before, at this point, we know Jesus is talking about more than figs and grapes. And he's talking about more than thorn bushes and briars. And, and with the introduction of thorn bushes and briars, he starts creating this kind of dichotomy that will help me place myself in this story. And this is incredible because Jesus knows our heart's desire 
He knows our heart's desire to be good for the world, to be a benefit to those around us. And here's the thing. Thorn bushes and briars, they offer nothing valuable to the picker. Nobody calls up a friend and says, hey, let's go thorn bush picking today. Like, I'm really craving the nothing of nutritional value or enjoyment that a thorn bush provides. It's not in the thorn bush or briar's nature to produce anything worth consuming to a person. And in that regard, they're not good. In that regard, they're not helpful for building others up according to any needs they might have. It cannot. So when Jesus takes it to thorn bushes, I start asking myself, okay, who am I in this? Because I'm not trying to be a thorn bush. I want to be the dream garden. I want my life to benefit those around me. I want it to nourish others and build them up according to their needs, like our anchor verse says. Well, let's keep going. Now, with the tension thick and his listeners like, okay, Jesus, you're two for two with obvious statements, but where are you actually going with this? In the next couple lines, Jesus delivers this... It's hard to even describe statement because it's so profound and inspiring, but but kind of confrontational all at the same time. But Jesus delivers this closing statement in a way that only he can, and he brings it home and makes his true point by saying, verse 45, a good man. Ah, ah, okay, yes. So, I mean, Jesus, we knew you weren't, just talking about fruit trees, but now we know you are in fact teaching something about being human that we need to understand. Jesus continues. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Whoa. Okay. Stored up in his heart. Like, like that's something I do actively. Like that's something that requires intention. The silo where we store our grain or the bank where I store my money or bring it to the 21st century, the cloud where I store photos and memories and other important documents. This active holding on to of something we believe is worthwhile. And who's doing the storing? The one who has the heart is in charge of what is stored in that heart. Jesus says a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. But Jesus isn't finished there. And this little talk takes an unexpected and potentially uncomfortable turn when he continues by saying, and an evil man, and his listeners are like, oof, come on, Jesus. Couldn't we just have kept it with a good man? Like it's so much more pleasant just to, to focus on the good things. But if he was challenged on that, Jesus's response would have been, hey, listen, I love you too much to pretend there aren't weeds in the garden. 
I love you too much and my hopes for you are bigger and greater than you can possibly imagine. And I love you too much to pretend like there's not evil going on in our hearts. And I'm not pointing out the evil with a wagging finger of condescending judgment. I'm pointing out the evil because it needs to be addressed. I'm pointing out the evil because the garden we're all really after will never be realized if we ignore it. So let me press on and lean into what is real. This evil that gets stored up that we have to address. So Jesus does. He, he presses on and he says, the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. How unbelievably profound and important. And, and, and in other words, in keeping with our gardening metaphor, the garden grows what the soil is full of. And now Jesus is three for three. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of, and there's no escaping it. If there are roots of a thing in the soil, if there are seeds of a thing in the soil, it's going to come out. And it may be a matter of time, and it may be a matter of a set of circumstances or weather conditions or the right season of life. But if the thing is in the soil, it's going to come out. Well, according to the Apostle Paul, who wrote these words, it all begins with remembering who you are. It starts with identity. The most important thing begins with identity. Now, when Paul wrote the words, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, he was actually developing an argument about identity. So, we need to understand this verse as being less about behavior and less about, you know, words, but more about who I am and why I'm alive. What is my life all about? So back up several verses and you see Ephesians 4. Paul says this starting in verse 21. He says, if indeed you have heard him, if you've heard Jesus and you've been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. In other words, Paul says, look, you heard Jesus. Your eyes have been opened. Your heart has been awakened to the glory of God in the person of Jesus. Life is different now. And you are no longer that person whose heart is defined by unhelpful and unhealthful things. In fact, Paul continues. He says, you've laid aside this old self and now your story is about being, and this is what he says in verse 23, renewed in the spirit of your mind. And he says, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Paul says this is all about laying aside an old self and putting on a new self. And in other places and other letters to different churches, Paul compares the old self to Adam. And he actually says that in a way, in our pre-having-met-Jesus condition, 
we're all living out the story of Adam. And in fact, it's a story of rebellion against God. It's a story of demanding that we go our own way. Living out the story of Adam, we're actually disruptors of order and contributors to the chaos around us. But this mysterious thing happens when you meet Jesus, when you hear Jesus and you hear Jesus's voice, and it's the voice of his love for you and the voice of the intention behind your existence and the voice that tells you the purpose for, for, for your eternity. Your heart comes alive in a new way. Your eyes are opened to new realizations about life and what it means to be human and what it means to live for eternal purposes, chasing after not the will of the self, but chasing after the will of God that is good. And we need to remember that Paul is talking to people here who have heard Jesus calling them into new life. And he says, remember who you are now. Saints called out by God to be builders of a new, righteous, heavenly kingdom here on earth. You've been appointed as ambassadors of God, representing his heart and his interests. You heard him. And now your story is wrapped up in Jesus's story. You're no longer living the story of Adam. That being a garden where anything goes and anything grows, where it's a vegetative free-for-all. No, like you're living the story of Jesus. This is who you are, a new person, set apart for good, set apart for love, set apart not for the building of your own kingdom, but for the building of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Your life is sacred. And this is where we tie back into Ephesians 4.29 and the whole, do not let any unwholesome thing come out of your mouth because being sacred means being set apart for one thing. Like my toothbrush here is sacred. It does not have multiple purposes. It has one purpose. It is set apart for one thing and boundaries have been set around it so that it will remain sacred. It does not get to wash the dishes or scrub under the rim of the sink or prop open a window. And even though it's made to brush teeth, it does not even get to brush someone else's teeth. No, my toothbrush is sacred. It is set apart. And Paul says, this is who you are. And he's reminding the church, and so I'm actually just going to talk to the, the church people now. Those of you who are here this morning and you would, say, you would put your hand up and say, yeah, like I consider myself a follower of Jesus. If that's you, and if, if that's not you yet, because you're just here checking things out, you're off the hook for this next thing. But for the church people, you need to hear this. This is a big part of Ephesians 4.29. Your life and your mouth are now sacred. Your life and your mouth are now set apart. Your life has a calling on it. Your mouth has a calling on it. It is for the building up of others according to their needs. It's for the bringing of heaven here now. It's for the thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth here 
as it is in heaven. And this is really helpful and really important because part of the process of not letting unwholesome things come out of our mouths, part of that process is recognizing what does belong and what does not belong growing in the garden that is me. Remembering who you are as named by God, as being set apart by God is crucial. You're a wildflower garden living for the purpose of bringing joy to all who come. Nothing outside of that belongs in your garden. You're a vegetable garden set apart for growing leafy green things full of life-giving vegetables and nothing outside of that belongs. So that's step one. Remembering our identity, remembering who you are. And some of us this morning needed that reminder that your identity is in Christ, that your life is sacred, set apart for the will of God. And get excited about that because what a privilege and an honor and how good to be able to move forward each day knowing that that's who you are. So, so that's number one. When we think about Okay, Paul's challenge to us. Do not let any unwholesome things come out of our mouths. We start with, we have to remember our identity, who we are, what we're set apart to be, right? But that's not very practical and not very helpful. What do we actually do? What do we do to get to a place where unwholesome things are not coming out of our mouths? Well, we've got to go back to this idea that we have to ruthlessly confront the unhelpful and unhelpful things in our hearts we have to ruthlessly confront the the weed, the roots of the weeds in the soil of our garden. And so what does that actually look like? Well, it's really two things. And one, the first one is all about prepare, re- readying the soil to be weeded, right? So, cause you've ever, if you've ever tried to pull weeds out of soil where it hasn't rained for two weeks and the ground is rock hard, forget about it. You are not getting at the roots. You're going to spend all your time grabbing at the leaves, ripping them off. The roots are still there. A week later, it rains. The weeds pop up and you're like, I'm no different. I haven't changed. I'm no better off. I'm no closer to being the dream garden. So, So for this to happen, the soil needs to be soft. And here are two really simple, really powerful things that you can do to create a soft soil that will enable like the getting down into the roots and getting the roots out. The first one is confess. That came out of me because that was in me. And that's a problem. Look, and confess it. Don't ignore it. Don't try to explain it away. Don't make excuses. Don't try to cover it up. Look, landscape fabric, you can cover weeds over with landscape fabric and it will make things look good on the surface. But what you're actually doing is you're doing two things. One, you're actually allowing the weeds to grow and breed underneath the fabric. And two, you are hardening the soil. Soil underneath landscape fabric gets really, really rock hard because water doesn't get down in there and it makes it really hard for good plants to grow because the landscape fabric prevents the good plants from getting the water. So look, when it comes to when when weeds pop up in our garden, when unhelpful and unhelpful things fly out of our mouths, we have to confess them. That came out of me, and that's a problem. Don't ignore it. Don't try to explain it away. That's number one. The second thing, ask forgiveness. Look, so much of being the dream garden has to do with relationships, because we want others to have an incredible life-giving experience in relationship with us. And when unhelpful and unhelpful things come out of our mouths, it damages a, 
a relationship and it hurts a person. And so asking forgiveness is a really big deal. Hey, that thing that came out of my mouth, it was not helpful in building you up. And I'm sorry. I know that it hurt you. I know that it damaged our relationship. And I'm heartbroken because of it. Because I care about you and I care about our relationship. Look, the humility that that takes is the ingredient that softens the soil. And it's so, so, so important. And on top of that, asking forgiveness of the one who gave you the mouth and purposed it for building others up. Lord, what came out of my mouth was not in line with who you've made me to be. It's not in line with your dreams and hopes for for the words that come out of this mouth and the mouth you've given me. I'm sorry, I, I need your forgiveness. Look, confessing and asking forgiveness, they're crucial to creating the type of soil we need where we can actually get at the roots. We don't do those things. The soil's hard and forget about it. Now, this third and final thing. This is a beautiful thing, but it's actually where the, the garden metaphor fails and we have to switch to one final new metaphor, which I, I'm really excited to show you in a minute. But the thing, before I get to it, I have to tell you this. This is also the part of the message that I love the most because it reminds us of our need for God. It brings us to a place of dependency on God. And this message becomes much more about the goodness of God and the glory of God and the love of God and the mercy of God and much less about me trying to become any kind of thing. It becomes about how good Jesus is and how much we need him. So let me show you something. So here for this last part, your heart is, is no longer a garden. It is actually a, a vessel. It's a cup, um, that's, that's containing multiple things. And as you see, your, your heart has in it some helpful things and some helpful things, some good things that would be a benefit to others. Living water that, that is good for the world, but your heart also in it contains some unhelpful things and some unhealthful things. Something that for someone to consume, it would not be good for them. It would be, it would be bad. Um, so this is your heart and, and this is actually God. And this is, this is Jesus. This is our heavenly father. This is the Holy Spirit, the three in one. And you'll see that, that, that God is pure life. God is all good. There is no false thing, no wrong thing in God. What we're looking at here is pure love, pure mercy, patience, all the good things. And so, so this is what it looks like to allow God to transform us so that we would no, no longer let any unwholesome things come out of our mouths because there are no longer unwholesome things in our hearts. And it's so simple. And I love this because again, it's about our dependency on God. God is doing everything. We're just allowing God to do his thing. But it's, it's as simple as just allowing God to be poured out into our hearts. And you find that when, when we receive the love of God, when we receive the kindness of God, the pureness of God, all the good things, it drives out the unhelpful and the unhealthful things. 
And the more of God's love and the more of God's kindness and the more of God's mercy I allow to be poured into my life, the less room there is for the unhelpful and the unhelpful things. And I become to, I become a heart and a life where, where good is overflowing. At the end of the day, what I cannot encourage you to do enough is develop a private practice of worship. A private practice of receiving the love of God, receiving the grace of God, receiving the mercy of God, allowing God to speak his goodness into your life, filling you to the point of overflow that drives out all the evil. Because, look, if we're just gardens and we can reach in and pull the weeds out of our own lives, we don't need God. And we end up walking around these creations of ourselves all all proud and arrogant, but... The fact that it's the goodness of God that has to drive out what's unhelpful and unhealthful, the fact that it's the light of God that drives out the darkness, look, that keeps me humble. That keeps me in a spirit of dependency, and that's so good. So it's it's really with that in mind where we'll move to the to the thing we'll do to, to bring this all to a close. And we're going to take communion together. And I actually think it's perfect. It's amazing because what we're doing in communion is we're, we're taking juice and we're taking bread. And these are tangible representations of who Jesus was, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And we're taking it into ourselves. We're allowing ourselves to be filled with Jesus. So if you need to go grab a cracker or grab something to drink, go do that now. And we'll prepare for communion. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So in remembrance of Christ's willingness to have his body broken to demonstrate his love for us, we take the bread together. Christ's body broken for you. The passage continues saying, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in remembrance, we take the drink together. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're just grateful for who you are and your goodness and your love for us and grateful to know that it is by receiving your love and allowing your love and your goodness and your grace and your mercy to fill us to the brim is how we become. We become ones who have nothing but helpful and healthful and good things stored up in our hearts for the world to enjoy. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your love and for for everything you have given us. We ask a blessing on this day and a blessing on every person here. Amen. So in conclusion of this service, get excited because Harrison and the band, they have been preparing to lead us in a, a brand new song, a song we haven't done before, a song I can't wait to sing because it's full of life and energy and all things good. My favorite line in this song Thinking about who I am as a a new person, as someone who is now full of the love of God and the mercy of God. 
uh, it says this, hell lost another one. I am free. Embrace that truth as we sing this song.